You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even Hey folks, welcome back to Making Data Simple. This is Al Martin here. Uh, as I always say, we love hearing from our listeners. And uh, you know, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, we do listen. And please send a note to almartintalksdata at gmail.com. We'll take a listen to that and, uh, and, and uh, most likely get back to you unless this it's just a, a comment of some sort. Today, I have two special guests, two guys that I've known for a long time. Uh, Mr. Art Cagle, who's the president and principal consultant at Ask Data Management. He's also an IBM champion and Informix expert and evangelist, Informix being the database. And then I've got Lester Nutson. Lester is likewise an IBM champion and president and principal at Advanced Data Tools Corporation. Welcome, guys. I, I Look, we've known each other for a long time. It's great having you on the podcast. We're going to have some fun today. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks for having us, Al. <laughs> so, Art, I'll start with you, and then I'll go to Lester. Art, why don't you give us a little background and do a proper introduction that uh, I probably butchered to start. <laughs> well, sure. So, um, consultancy, my company, uh, Ask Database Management. Um, basically, I do uh, consulting around database performance primarily, um, mostly in the with uh, Informix users, but other other systems as well. Um, and uh, just general uh, development and, and uh, consulting. Nice. Lester? Hey, well, we've been an IBM partner since the 90s and an Informix partner since 93 uh, when I started the company. Our focus is also on Informix database consulting, training, and support. We have customers around the world. Um, I did a course. I do a lot of training. I did a course uh, last week where I had someone in London and someone in San Francisco in the same course, doing it across time zones. All so virtual? All virtual. All virtual. Nice. So uh, I know Art and Lester from my, um, I would say my heritage, but I'm still doing Informix uh, today and I continue to do Informix. Uh, these are, are, you know, they, they earned the, the designation of IBM champion. Um, on a personal note, when I think of you guys, Lester, when I think of you, I think of you sitting on a boat someplace because I know you'd love to scuba dive. And Art, I think of you surrounded by grandkids. Is that pretty good uh, a visual? Often that's a pretty good visual for me, yeah. Yeah, the the boat. It's better to think of me underwater than on a boat. <laughs> I probably spend more time underwater than on the boat. Well, I'm only thinking you of you on the boat right now because you've got to be talking to me. Otherwise, yeah, you'd be stupid out of right now. That's true. Before I jump in, Lester, I got to ask you. Then um, you you are at home, right? You're, yeah. you're, you're uh, so you're not. You, I know you travel a ton. Um, what's your favorite place that you've ever scuba dived? Uh, probably Indonesia in Chindawasi Bay. And uh, there's nothing in the world like being at 40, 50 feet and having a 40-foot whale shark come straight at you. Did you panic? No. Remember, <laughs> I would panic. Whale sharks are vegetarians. 
How do you know it's a whale shark? <laughs> oh, I, I've learned my fish ID. That's one of the things you, uh, you, you teach yourself is to tell what's good and what's dangerous stuff down there. Yeah, well, if I see a, if, if, if a shark comes into view, I'm going to panic. I don't care what shark it is. I'm gonna, <laughs> the ID is going to come next. But good for you if you've got the, the, the peace of mind to be able to do that. And, and Art, I guess no, no sharks for you, but uh, it's, it's family all the time, 24 by 7? Yeah, well, right now it is. My, my uh, daughter and son-in-law were living with us for, for about 11 months while they uh, moved up from Maryland and found a new house nearby here. Um, and now my son and, and his family are doing the same thing um, after they moved out. So I've, I've gone from one, one group of grandkids to the next. Um, and it's, it's been great. Fantastic. Um, great. Um, look, l- let's talk, we're going to talk about databases. I know that's both your area of expertise. Uh, they've been around for a while, uh, you know, 50 plus years for a long time. The, the focus has always been on relational hierarchical database. Uh, in the last 10 years, we've seen the pro- proliferation of object stores, document stores, no SQL columnar. I could go down the list. Um, you know, why, why do you think that we're seeing so much change in the database industry and um, why are there so many different data stores appearing? So I, I think it's a matter of different tools for different problems and different data. And I think we're being very creative in inventing new tools to solve different data problems. So I really think the different types of data stores are, are a very positive uh aspect of our world you see it the same way art yeah i think I, I agree with that definitely i'm i'm very much in the camp of using the the right tool for the right job um you know but uh, one of the things that i that i noticed looking at all of the, these new databases is that a lot of it is what you know what i like to call the the myth of the new right everything new is better um and uh, I, I did a, in fact, I did a, a, a blog um, back in 2014, I guess, um, on that subject. And I kind of think that if you look things over, the, the key value stores are just like Berkeley DB and DBM databases that we had in the, in the 70s and 80s. Um, and uh, GraphDB is not a whole lot different from uh, a network database or a hierarchical database. Um, so a lot of what they're doing now that they're thinking is, is brand new and, and, and has been invented recently is rehashing of old ideas. Um, and one of the things I like to keep in mind is that a lot of those old ideas were successful and had, had use cases and they're still being used today. Um, and there are similar use cases for the new databases. Um, but there's a reason why the industry kind of it's kind of set, settled on uh, relational databases for most applications because it has the widest use case and it handles the most kind of stuff. What do you think has been the most uh, or the greatest advances in data stores or data management technologies in the last five years? Well, I, I think one of the biggest ones has been SSD drives and cheaper memory. The fact that, uh, you can put a large database in memory and get to the data so much faster uh, makes a huge difference in how you design and implement a database. 
essentially not even the database itself. You're talking about the 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 memory and the and essentially flash memory, right? That is made to change, right? It's Remember. it's the underlying technology. It's just getting bigger, faster, cheaper. And one of the limiting factors in in system performance over the years has always been whatever the bot current bottleneck is. You know, for the longest time, it was memory. And then as memory got faster, it was CPU. And then when the CPUs got faster, now it's storage or network. Um, now the networks are lightning fast. So storage is the last, you know, the last thing at this point. It's the current bottleneck. And SSD is, has done a lot to improve that. Yeah, but Art, um, like you mentioned, a lot of this is rehashing of what we've seen in, in history or in, in the past. Mm-hmm. But there's got to be some new breakthroughs. Is there, there's nothing out there that impresses you in the fundamental database technology? I don't think so. I, I you know, I look at um, uh, columnar databases and and uh, um, and things like that, and I say, well, you know, that was just an inversion t- t- database. It's stuff that we used a long time ago, and it has its applications. You know, a, a columnar database can answer. Um, uh, complex queries that that look at subsets of a of a logical table uh, much faster than a row oriented database, um, but I, I but it's not a panacea. It fits a particular use case. So I don't I haven't seen any any one technology that's going to revolutionize how we do data altogether. You what know? about you? You I, I, it seems like art lesser. It seems like ours is not very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> let, let, let me give you another different use case. Um, okay. And I got to think about this for a minute because uh, I was working with a university uh, and they were collecting data from a city and basically trying to figure out noise levels uh, in a city and how that affected people. Um, and it was, it was very open, very, you know, very public. That doesn't fit in a relational database. Uh, noise levels don't fit uh, in a regular database, uh, and so they're, they're, they had to come up and 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 this is a very case of you know the uh, the new database technologies allowed them to do that. So, what were the elements of the tech uh, the database technology that uh, you would you would key on to say, look, uh, you know, had, had this been twenty years ago? You know, they, they wouldn't be able to do it as efficiently as they did it today. Oh, 20 years ago, they would have stored those in flat files on a file system <laughs> someplace. Uh, now you could have them indexed by, they used a bit of time series data types. They used a bit of geospatial uh, data types. And uh, they used a bit of sound. And so it's it's coming together of three different technologies in a new, a new system. I I, th- I think we're we're just beginning to see the tip of the iceberg of all these new uh, data collection uh, systems and new types of data that's out there. Uh, one of it, going back to scuba diving, one of the things I would love to be able to do is take my pictures and integrate them with uh, my depth gauge uh, and the data sets from that for my dive computers and just see and then the geolocation geoloca- of where they are. Uh, to do things like see how have reefs changed over the last 20 years, uh, how have fish stocks changed over the last 20 years. Can I do a query uh, against my pictures and get an idea of whether fish stocks have increased or decreased in a you place? Start up in the making there, man. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, hey, Lester's a little bit impressed. Come on, Art. It's not that I'm not impressed. I, I the my my issue is that is that um, guy the the kids coming out of school today, right? They believe, or at least they seem to believe, that if it wasn't invented in the last two years and it's not open source, um, it's not useful. It's old. It's dilapidated. We don't need it anymore, right? And 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 that's not the case. I think that that I definitely think that there are use cases that are specific, as Lester says. You know, for this particular data, you've got to have this particular kind of a database. If you have time series data, you need a time series database, or at least a database that's capable of doing time series well. Uh, it's not a relational kind of data, um, right? If, you have, if you're trying to, to scrape the web, you can't put that in a relational database. No, no, no issue with that. It's got to go into something more like Hadoop or, or if first on a smaller scale, Mongo, um, or something like that. Um, but, you know, just because it was invented in 1980s doesn't mean it's, it's outdated. You know, the, the analogy I like, I, I like to come up with, it comes, I, I, re, I always remember stories that my father-in-law used to tell. He um, came into this country after, after the war, and he was uh, in Canada, kind of contracted to the Canadian Railroad, um, cutting down trees to make room for the railways in, in northern Canada. Um, and, and it reminds me that, you know, stone axe will still cut down a tree, right? But stone axes were replaced by bronze axes, and bronze axes were replaced by steel axes, and then they came saws and chainsaws and, and those giant circular saws on, you know, attached to a, to a, uh, to a skip loader uh, that can just take down a whole tree in five seconds. Um, that doesn't mean that a hand axe is not a useful tool, right? I can't use that giant cut saw and I don't need a chainsaw for the the one sapling that I've got to cut down once a year. So you got to have the right tool for the job at hand. And a lot of the tools that we use, we've been using for the last 20, 30, 40 years and more um, are still useful tools. Yeah, but you know, there's going to be some kids out there that are going, oh my gosh, this guy, this guy is the same guy that that walked uphill both ways to school <laughs> and I'm going to use a chainsaw and he can uh, love and, and, and live with the, his, uh, his old ax. Sure. I, and I, let me just say something uh, on art side of the coin. I do think there's an element of what I, I see a lot of is what I call the lazy developer. And that's, I'll put it in an OSQL database so I don't have to decide and discipline myself as to what the structure of the data will be. And it, it's like in the relational world where someone would say, I'll make every column of our car so I don't have to decide how many bytes it's going to take. Uh, there, there, that's a danger that we have to watch out for in this new world is, is to use these new technologies uh, and to use them at a disservice. Right, and and conversely, the people using those date those new databases, right, are starting to realize that what they thought of as advantages have become disadvantages. So Hadoop gave birth to HBase, right? So you can do relational like queries against the Hadoop database. Mongo begat Mongoose, so that you can put a structure on an on a semi structured database. All right, all they're doing is backfilling and and 
backfilling technologies that already existed. All right. Um, even adding transactions to MongoDB in the last two, two and a half years. Um, that's a brand new technology for Mongo when it, all it does is something that relational databases have been doing for, for over 40 years. All right. We, well, now we, you're convincing me. I have to give you, in fact, I just had a client the other day, and I'm going to probably butcher this, but uh, they had a, I don't know, they were using a Varchar 32K. Just because, just because they could. And it was the easiest thing to, to move data. So they did it and they weren't using like hardly any of it. And it was across like 1,500 tables. And then we were having problems with the optimizer. The optimizer was assuming there was more data than there was, whatever the case may be. And it was slower than it should have been. And uh, that became my fault. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I don't know how it became my fault. But I mean, that's that's kind of the scenarios that you're – you're describing. And, and on yes. top of that, l- let me ask you this. There is a perception out there that, you know, that the, the good old relation relational database, you know, is, is legacy and no longer needed. Uh, I dare I ask, but what's your reaction to that? Well, I think I answered it. I, I, it's definitely <laughs> not look it, you, you know, getting rid of getting rid of relational database, right. In the market. Um, it's akin to saying, oh, all right, I'll pull something out of the air. Let's boycott everything made in Israel. Well, okay, give up your cell phone because that was made in Israel, was designed in Israel, right? You want to, you, so you want to give up relational database? Fine. Pull your money out of the bank, put it under your mattress because the bank is using relational database. You want, and, and you're not going to be able to buy anything online because all of those online transactions are running through a relational database. Oh, and cut up your debit cards and your credit cards because they're going to use a relational database. Right. Yeah. And the, the rest of these other, these other technologies, as much as they're touted as, oh, we need them for the web and the massive volumes of data and the massive volumes of transactions. Um, you know, as well as I do, the, 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 the largest um, online sports betting company in the world uses a relational database. They process millions of transactions a second through a relational database. Tell me that's not big. Right. I have three clients that have databases over 30 terabytes. Tell me that's not big data. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I also it does seem, you know, interesting that you've got a lot of these purposeful database or purpose driven databases out there. And almost every one of them are trying to expand their use cases. Yes. Uh, which puts us all right back into the same boat that we, we originally came out of. Yep. I'll give you that. Any, any other comments from, from your side, uh, Lester? Well, I was going to say one of the keys to relational databases that the name relational doesn't handle is the logging and the transactions get committed and the guarantee that a transaction will get committed. Uh, that's not there in a lot of other technologies. And to me, that's one of the most important things about a relational database. If you have something like a bank or an airline ticket that needs a guarantee that it's going to be there, you want a relational database right now. Yeah. So speaking of all this, and I'm sitting here thinking, is you guys are doing, you guys are doing regular consulting, you guys are are educating, and you guys are database experts, uh, which I appreciate because, you know, I'm all, I'm all about data. It's in, it's in my brand, my personal brand as well. 
But from your perspective, is the data storage and data management really getting easier? Or is the sheer volume, velocity, variety, all the Vs, are, are we are we just are we wiping out all the benefits of the, the advances given the amount, sheer amount of volume, et cetera, that we're having right now? We're doing two things. The volume is increasing, but the technology is increasing that's allowing us to handle that. And so, yeah, it's getting more complex, but we're getting better technology to go handle that complexity. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, Moore's law applies. The more data you've got, um, the, the better we make the technologies work. Uh, you know, the, the relational databases of today can process probably several hundred times the transaction rate of the databases that I first used when I got involved with relational technology in, in the early 80s. Yeah, I'll give you a simple example of that. We, we, you know this, Al, we did a contest called the Fastest DBA Contest. And when I first did it 10, oh, 15 years ago, uh, the job, the batch job I had took 40 hours to run. That same batch job, same data right now on most computers will, ha- will run in five minutes. <laughs> That's that's what technology has done to us, and that's allowed us. I mean, I'm, I I quit doing the contest because I couldn't come up with big enough data to make it interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. So let me ask you. So putting summarizing this this all up in terms of um, you know the the concerns you're seeing, and and we're probably overvaluing some of the purpose database the databases that are out there i mean they are they're good for what they're they're good at but it's it's not overvaluing so much as as thinking they're the answer to everything and where where they're the answer to specific things right they they have specific use cases or groups of use cases and when they're used for the correct use case it works and they're good you know and maybe there's another solution but it's a good solution um, and maybe relational could get the job done, but this is probably better, right, for that particular use case. How many times you guys are doing consulting all over the place, again, education, et cetera. How many times do you walk in to assist, you know, a client and you say, oh, my God, why are they doing this? Are they doing this? <laughs> Almost all the time. It happens all the time. But why do you think that is? You think it's like a, a culture in the industry that – you're on the next big thing and then you, uh, so they, they head down that path. It costs them more, you know, they, they're, they promises of, I mean, it's, it's delusional. I, I don't, what is it? <laughs> I think part of it is what I think some of, some of our listeners are going to accuse me and, and Lester of, which is the, the hammer syndrome, right? Once as long as you've got a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. Um, <laughs> Right. So we've got relational database and we know how to use it and we're comfortable with it. So we're going to use it for everything. Well, I, I mean, I, I don't agree that that's where I'm at, but that syndrome happens to everybody at some level. Right. I, I, it is the, my first approach to a problem that a data problem is a relational database. Um, and if it's not a fit, then we move on to something else. Or if it's a fit, but not a good one, we move on to something else. Somebody who knows Hadoop is going to want to do that first. Uh, you know, I've got a client that that um, a a large three-letter software vendor, who's shall we remain nameless, came in and and tried to 
telecast client that they needed to use Hadoop for, for a large time series application that they were already doing in another database that was working just fine um, and that we had a different plan for um, because that's what they were, the salespeople were comfortable with. Um, and, and that happens in, with the developers as well. You know, this is what I know, so this is what I'm going to try first. Um, and uh, it's very difficult to get people out of that mindset and to say, okay, let's examine the whole issue, the whole problem, and, and start from scratch, clean slate. I know this isn't your point, but do you, uh, do you believe or not believe in Hadoop? I mean, what's your, what's your th- thoughts on Hadoop? No, I think Hadoop is, is perfect for, for what it was designed for, for handling massive amounts of, of completely unstructured data and, and doing massive searches. But it requires a massive amount of hardware, right? It, 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 when they were developing the thing, it wasn't a useful idea until they'd proven that they could get it to work on 100 systems spreading the work across 100 machines, okay? That's a lot of hardware, if I can get the same job done on a single piece of hardware with a different database because the data isn't unstructured, then that's the solution, right? If the data is unstructured and that's the only way to chart, to churn through it, then absolutely it's the right solution. What's the, um, one of the selling points of a dupe is like the high availability, the redundancy you have in Kubernetes. Uh, although I see a lot of systems and cloud providers, you know, go offline, et cetera. Uh, my question is, they just don't got it right. They haven't configured. They haven't set it up correctly. I mean, what, what's, the, what's the gap there? Do you know? For what? For, for relational I mean, being as reliable? By, by, by definition, if you have multiple clusters, you should have redundant data or so high availability. What I'm saying is that uh, we've got a lot of the you know, relational databases, if you want to compare it to that, that have like five nines already. Uh, sure. say, hey, look, I'm going to move to cloud and I'm going to get, uh, I'm going to get five nines because I'm, I've got a backbone of Kubernetes clustering. Do you say, yeah, I get it. Or do you say, no, you got a lot of configuration to do to make sure that you, you get back to five nines. I, I you, say you've got to well, go ahead, Lester. I was going to say it, it's not an easy answer because you can't just say I'm going to move to the cloud and everything's going to work and I can go take a nap. It, it's a lot of work moving to the cloud and getting the same kind of of uh, reliability that you have on a local server. Uh, it, everybody I see doing something like that, I, I like to say it's still going to take the same kind of performance tuning. It's still going to take the same kind of monitoring. That doesn't go away. Um, and as your data gets bigger and larger, it actually becomes more complicated. Did you have somebody out there, Art? No, I was. I, I think that's true, and and I agree with that. But I also wanted to say that that the relational databases, as an example, right, and the the other long running database systems that have been around forever, um, have that redundancy that they that have been developed over thirty five and forty years. Um, that you're you're just not going to be able. You're building this out of out of whole cloth in a sense, um, and you're relying on underlying technologies and you're moving to the cloud, which means you're losing some control over what the hardware is and where it is and, um, and what the backbone is. And you you don't have that level of, of hands-on control, um, that you do in a data center. I think it's, again, it has an application, it has applications and, and sometimes it's going to be the right solution. Um, 
but it's not necessarily the only solution. So, but if for those people, I mean, if you have a if you have a client that comes to you and says, "Look, um, I'm moving to cloud. It's the right thing to do. Uh, we're going to have cost savings, etc." And but I, it's a mission critical application, and I've got to have you know five nines. Any suggestions you give to them? I mean, do you say, "Look, I, well, I'll stop there." Any suggestions you give to them? Well, my my first answer is it's going to take as much work and planning and preparation as if you're going to do it on-premise. I don't think moving to the clouds is going to be any less work than doing it on-premise to get five nines. Uh, right. The, the main thing you gain is is you don't have that, that delay to, to move new hardware in, right? That hardware is already there. They've got it there as long as they're doing their job as, as a cloud provider. Um, so you're, you're faster to set up. You're faster to add add resources. I think that's a great thing. It's a good thing. Um, but it's not everything. I, I'm going to talk to a client that needs uh, a system that absolutely positively has to be online. Um, and we're talking about a relational database system. Um, you know, then I'm going to look at, um, to take my favorite database, for example, Informix has five different kinds of replication and, um, and high availability in, in three different directions. Um, and we can keep five, six, seven nines of, of reliability on those systems with no zero plan downtime. Do you ever, I mean, so that's software application. By the way, when we talk five yeah. nines for the listeners, that's uh, essentially how uh, how available in terms of, it's a high availability. And five nines really translates, if, if, I'm, if I'm right, to uh, like five minutes of downtime a year. Um, that's okay. that'd be planned downtime. So essentially, you're you you should never be down uh, on a good year. Just just to go back a few steps, you can't get that five nine without on the cloud or in a VM or on premise without planning and work. I, I think that's the bottom line. It's it's not a magic a number that appears even even with databases. It doesn't appear. It takes work to get that. Look, I'll never forget. Uh, Lester has a. I, w- I was just doing a keynote, and he gave me a picture as part of a, a keynote on how long a database had been online, and how long had that database been online that you've given me. Uh, I only collect them when they're over a thousand days, and so <laughs> I forget which one I gave you. I've got several. I I, I like to collect uptimes that are over a thousand days, which is over three years. Yeah, well, I think this one, if I recall, was like something like. Unbelievable. I don't even know how you got this, but it was like eight years or something. Yeah. And it, uh, for those listening, just, just, just for transparency, it was a, it was an Informix database that had been up for eight years. I was, it was amazing. All right. So, uh, I want to do what I call, if you guys are game, you got to be game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I want to well, go take, take it on. All right. I'm going to give you some questions. I'm just getting, I'm interested in, and I'll, I'll kind of go back and forth since we have two guests today. Like you'll start the first one, Lester, then Art, then Art, you start the next one, then Lester will go back and forth with some questions I have. I just want to get, so this is my chance to finally pick your brain with a, a number of different things. You ready? Yep. Sure. All right, Lester, what is the biggest myth in technology? That it's going to get easier. <laughs> All right, Art, what's what's your answer? Um, that that real Artificial intelligence is a, is is something we can reach soon. Will we reach it? Maybe someday. 
not soon, not anytime soon. And it's always been 50 years away for the last 50 years. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Um, and I'm going to go back and forth. I mean, there, there's no rhyme or reason. Some of these questions, it's just what I have as interest. Uh, art, what's your, what's your number one role model? Not related to you, not related. <laughs> um, I have two, two role models in, in, in my personal life. It was one of my very, very close friends who passed away about a year and a half ago um, as a model for what, what a, a, what a friend and a, and a human being should be. Um, and, uh, professionally, honestly, I'll, I, Lester is, is one of my role models. What? <laughs> now, Lester, you're going to have, okay. Outside of art, Lester. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I can't answer that now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Lester, outside of art, cause we know he's your role model. Who else you got? I, you know, I have worked with so many wonderful people, uh, over the years. It's just hard. To, I, I'd get in trouble if I didn't list them all. So it would it'd be really, really hard to do that. Um, and and I, when you asked Art that question, I was sitting here thinking, I don't have a good answer for that real quick. <laughs> there are just so many wonderful people I've worked with over the years. All right, I'm going to answer it a different way, and I'll go back to Art. Who's the biggest influence you've had in your career? Oh, in my career was one of my first managers who who – taught me what it meant to be a, a manager and a leader um, and uh, uh, that the most important thing was to have your people's back. Go about you, uh, Lester. Well, you know, I, I almost answered this for the role model. Uh, when I first moved to the D.C. area, uh, I worked for a tech company that uh, was run by an editor of a sports ma- – well, he had been an editor for a sports magazine – he knew nothing about technology. And we did uh, Navy and Army contracting. And he was phenomenal to work with. Uh, and I've always really appreciated it. One is he taught me how important language was, which I think a lot of programmers still don't realize. Uh, how you describe what you're doing is very important. Um, but that, that, that's who would be one of my key role models, too. Okay. Um, Lester, back to you. What's the crazy, you've, you've been doing this a little while. I don't want to date you or anything. You, you've got a lot of wisdom as does art. This is why I'm asking this question. I'm just curious. What's the craziest thing you've seen in this business? Oh, I've seen a lot of crazy things. <laughs> Give me one. Give me one. Just a taste. Um, so, uh, doing an RM asterisk on the root directory. So for those that are listening, I presume what that means is somebody deleted the root root directory of a database. They did, oh, no. They no, 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 no. Delete the, the whole no. darn system. Oh, you, you're yeah. talking about the file system? Exactly. Oh. <laughs> okay. And, and, and once, you, once you start that, you can't stop it. I was thinking... Uh, uh, Anyway, I got it. Right. I'll, I'll give you another one like that, though. That, this will date me. Remember back in the days of 300 baud modems? Oh, yes. Uh, and how you'd connect to a remote system and you get line noise that came across as a capital D sometime. And if you go into certain tools and type DD, that means drop database. Yes, that's uh, what I thought you were talking about is drop database. No, I've had I've had support people do that. Uh, 
you know, who worked with me, dial into a remote system, get a bunch of line noise and go D and, and they can't do anything about it. It's just DD, the database gets dropped. So what do, what do you do in the first one? They re- remove their file system. You say you're going to lunch or what? Oh, you re- oh, you, let me, you spend the next, this is next uh, couple of days rebuilding the system. Ouch. I, I had a, a, I'm asking you these questions, but I've actually had that happen. Not, not to me, but a customer that I was helping many, well, more than once. Let's put it that way. All right. Art, two, two, I think I got three more questions. All right. This one's, this one's for you. The next one's for Luster. What do you do for fun, man? <laughs> what do I do for fun? I used to do skiing. I used to ski a lot until um, my knees gave out. Um, and I used to bowl until I had four kids to raise. Um, so uh, at this point, not not a heck of a lot. I'm just been too busy lately. Now I'll give you the answer. It, it's your grandchildren because we talked it about is, this. It is. Time. It really is. What do you think it's going to look like? I mean, do you got any of your grandchildren that are entering into the computing world? No, my my oldest is uh, is is uh, five, going on six. The oldest grandchildren five. I thought they were older than that. So you're a young no, man. No, no young no, man. No, yeah. no, I got a five down to down to uh, twenty one months. Well, in any regard, what do you think the world's going to look like with when when they're our age? I don't know. It, it looks a whole lot different than than when we were their age. <laughs> so you know, it's uh, it's a different world. Um, but they'll cope. You know, I always said the 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 when I was doing training back in the day that the people who had the most trouble um, coping with the world were the people at that time who were our age or in their, their at the time in their thirties, right? My, my parents and my grandparents, they coped with the world because it had so changed so drastically. You know, my grandmother lived through the beginnings of flight and my parents lived through the, the beginnings of the space age. We grew up with that and we expected that we were going to cope and everything would be easy because after all, we grew up in the modern world. But when when computers began and cell phones and everything else became so ubiquitous, our generation had the most trouble. And I think that this next generation is going to see the same thing because they're growing up again with all of this technology that's new was new for us. And the next set of technology that comes along, I think, is going to throw them for a loop. All right, Lester. And this is the question for you. Is scuba diving your absolute passion? Oh, I, I, I was going to say I like my grandkids too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, was going, I, I was going to tell you a story. Our okay. triggered one on the last one. About eight years ago, my granddaughter was two years old and she comes up to me and says, Grandpa, the big iPad doesn't work. And I said, what's a big iPad? She points at the TV and she goes up to the TV and tries swiping her hand across the TV. <laughs> and says, it won't change channel. <laughs> See? <laughs> oh, that's the world we live in right there, man. That's how it kind of sums it up. I'd like to even stop there, but I've got to ask you a little bit about the scuba diving. How many grandchildren you have before I do that? I have four. You have, you got, you got both have four. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm up to six. Oh, you're six. You're six. And, and, and number seven's on the way. Wow. Yeah. All grandsons so far. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> oh. Well, oh, what about you, Lester? So I've got uh, three granddaughters and one grandson. And I'll throw in a bit of scuba diving here. Two years ago, my wife and I took our oldest granddaughter scuba diving. She swims like a fish. 
And uh, that was the most amazing thing uh, was to get her out uh, within, uh, she went through some training. Within an hour of training, uh, they felt she was comfortable enough to take her in the ocean. And the most exciting thing she saw was a tarpon that was bigger than her. And it was just phenomenal to see her get all excited underwater over this fish that's bigger than her. See, that's normal, Lester. That's what's normal. When you see a shark, you get excited. When you see a tarpon, you get excited. Yeah. <laughs> and, and to see a little kid do that is just like amazing. How'd you get into scuba diving? Did you, what was your first trip like? I mean, it must have been like uh, earth shattering. Oh, yeah. It, you know, I've always lived. Um, around some phenomenal uh, reefs. Uh, as a kid growing up, I grew up in Malaysia and, oh. uh, you know, would go diving in the ocean, snorkeling and just loved it. I always wanted to scuba dive. And uh, a while back, my wife and I were in Hawaii and they had this deal, uh, come do a discovery scuba thing. I took it and they said, if you come back tomorrow, it'll be 20 bucks cheaper. And then they said, if you come back tomorrow, it'll be 20 bucks cheaper. So it kept, I kept coming back every day. I just, it's like I fell in love with it as soon as I did it. All right. I'm going to finish with one because I know we, you guys have bared with me for quite a while here. Uh, I'm going to throw you a softball. You know, usually on this pod, podcast, we try to keep it really technology or industry oriented. But I know you're feeling on Informix. And for full disclosure, I, uh, was uh, with Informix and came to IBM through an Informix acquisition. So uh, I, I bleed Informix as well. But here's here's the softball question. Why do you guys love Informix so much? For me, it just works. It It is, um, you know, from the first time I've started using it in 80, 93, 83, forget how old it is it, it's just it just works it just works sum that up pretty well how about you art for, for me it's always been that whenever i look at <clears throat> at something that that informix does um in a particular way or 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 does particularly well and then i i'm exposed to what a competitive system does in the same situation uh i i'm always surprised at how much better Informix is at A, B, and C. Um, I'm sure there are things that, that, you know, Oracle or DB2 or SQL Server do better at D, E, and F. Um, but I'm always surprised at, at those kinds of things. You're not going to find a, a, a site that uses a diff another database system uh, where six or eight DBAs are running 20,000 database instances. Um, you know, when I was at, at Bloomberg and uh, at, after I left, they replaced some of the Informix servers with, in, in how, with, uh, um, with uh, a competitor's product, let's put it that way. Um, and I was managing 46 Informix servers with one assistant. Um, those, that competitive system needed 25 DBAs to manage it, doing the same work. So a, a total cost of ownership being yeah total cost of ownership was massively different, um, you know uh, 
the Informix had was the first product to let you take an archive of the system while it was live and being actively um, updated. Um, that just didn't happen before Informix figured out how to do it. Uh, every, everybody does it now, but Informix was first, and, and that amazed me. Uh, it was one of the first databases that you could alter in a table without having to pull the data out and, and rebuild it from scratch. Um, you know, things, it was a little, the little things like that. Uh, the fact that you can do replication in, in five different ways, um, and depending on what fits your, your, your needs. Um, you know, all those things. And, and to, to add, add one more thing, I also think it's fast. Uh, I've, I've had several clients that have tried to move off of Informix and haven't been able to because of the speed. They can't get that same speed on another database. Right. I got a perfect example. Um, a friend of mine actually lives here in the neighborhood, goes to my synagogue. He had a little company, um, many years ago and uh, um, had that he ran on Informix. He was the second largest provider of uh, loyalty cards and loyalty systems for, for retailers. Okay. Um, and he ran the entire business on two Sunblades running Informix. One that was primary, one was an, an HDR secondary server, a replication server. A little Sunblade with two processors um, and uh, three disks, I think. Um, and at some point, the, he and his brother decided to sell the business, and they sold it to their biggest competitor. Um, and the competitor tried to move the all of their customers onto their existing system, which was running on on a, a massive system, running a competitive database, um, and they could not even move one client because moving that one client brought their system to its knees. Okay. Cause they were processing on this tiny little box, something on the order of four times the, the transactions that the competitor was processing on their big box. So that's, that's Informix. Look, I love your guys's passion. As you know, that's one reason I, or a lot of reasons I brought you on. So thank you guys for taking the time today to share some of your wisdom. I consider you not only experts, but friends. I promise I have your back. I know you always have my back. Uh, but again, thanks for being here. Uh, and uh, any anything left unsaid that uh, we didn't hit? I was just going to say thank you for inviting us and being on. This is always a pleasure. My my pleasure. Absolutely my pleasure. By the way, we'll get all your contact information in the show notes for, for people to reference. If anyone's out there, um, if anyone's out there, if, if you're listening right now, please always give us feedback. As I started the show with almartintalksdata at gmail.com, uh, we like to hear from you. And always rate us if you can. We learn from the ratings just as well. Uh, thank you so much and talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple Podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, over and out. Oh.